Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the podcast of The Porch Church. We hope today's message really blesses you and encourages you in your spiritual journey. If you have questions or want more information on our church, please visit www.theporchchurch.tv. Anybody else think it's a little bit of a rough transition from uh, Holy Spirit prayer to uh, Party Rock? Anyway, hey, we're having fun. Uh, hope you guys are having fun, and uh, I'm excited to be sharing with you. We're going to do things a little bit differently, and uh, I just got to like start with a confession, which is uh, I'm, pr- I'm pretty nervous for today, uh, and it's not because we're sitting differently. It's because this is a message that has been um, kind of in the making for me for about four years. Uh, really, it's why we're in Denver. It's what God laid on our hearts. I've been sharing it with leadership team, and so, uh, and so for those of you who don't know, like I I write out my sermons ahead of time, and and that way I have at least a a base to go from. So I've probably written and rewritten this sermon like three or four times and uh, and just can't get it quite the way that I want it. So my solution to that is uh, is I'm just just going not off my notes. Uh, I'm just going off the cuff, which may work out in your benefit, or we could be here three hours. I really... I really don't know the direction, but I'm, I'm hoping that we get it under that. Uh, but I'm, I'm excited about this. I'm excited to share this with you. Again, this is something that uh, has been kind of stirring around uh, in my heart and Melissa's heart and our leadership team's heart. And uh, we're kind of at a crucial stage where we just get to invite you guys in to a little bit about what God's been saying, what he's been doing, and uh, what that means for the future of this church and, and hopefully for, uh, for our communities. So uh, I want to start with, we're going to tell three stories. Uh, that all operate around that one question. It's the question that I already asked you, right? What are you doing here? So anybody want to share from their table any interesting answers? What'd you say? What are you doing here? What brought you here? What's your answer? Yeah. Yeah, parents. Yep, parents van. Very literal. I appreciate that, buddy. Thanks so much. Anybody else want to? <laughs> yeah, Doug. Kids want ice cream. Our, the bribe worked. Where's Miss Trista? Is she around? Yes. The bribe totally worked. You were here because your kids suckered you into it. Love it. Anybody else? Yeah. Uh, smaller than some of the other churches and easier to get plugged in. Sure. Some of you guys are here because it's a, an easier place to get plugged in. I hear a lot of those conversations, and, uh, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Let's do one more. Anybody else? What brought you here this morning? How do you answer that question, whether within yourself or at your table? Yeah. Sure. Belonging to somewhere. Absolutely. I think that's huge. That's actually why I love this table thing, right? Because we talk about church being a place where you can belong, and then we come and sit in rows, and we don't talk to people, and we don't have interactions like this, and that's why I'm making you sit around tables. So you're welcome. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> it's, this is for you. Um, so I want to start with, uh, start with a Bible story, though. And this question is, is in the Bible story, and, and we're going to turn there. So I'm going to invite you to turn to 1 Kings uh, chapter 19, going old school, Old Testament. There's some Bibles on your table. Uh, our ushers would love to bring you an additional Bible if you feel like you need one. Slip your hand up. They would love to bring you one. We're on page 164. 164, if you're looking for uh, the Bible reference, 1 Kings chapter 19. This is a story about Elijah. How many of you remember Elijah? Prophet Elijah? Two of you? That's great. So Elijah 
Uh, <laughs> Elijah is an Old Testament prophet. He's kind of a big dog deal in the Old Testament. He's one of the major voices for God's Reformation. Specifically, he's a prophet to the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel. At this time, Israel is splintered into two factions, the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. And so Elijah is a prophet to the kingdom of Israel. Ahab is the king. I don't know if that name's familiar to you or not. And he's married to a woman named Jezebel. Now, Israel's kind of in a bad spot right now because there are there's this rival gang. There's these rival prophets, right? The prophets of Baal. And uh, there's a lot of them. And they're kind of pushing out the true worshipers of God, the true worshipers of Yahweh, which is who Elijah represents. And this is really some of the, some of the major Old Testament stories. Maybe you remember it uh, from Sunday school. But Elijah kind of has a showdown, right? They're going to have an Old West-style duel, except instead of guns, they're going to use altars and sacrifices, which sounds weird, right? Uh, but that's what they do. So they're going to, they say, okay, you pray to your gods and I'll pray to mine. Remember that there'd been a famine going on in the land because there was a big drought as the story getting a little bit familiar to you. So there's no rain because of that. There's no food. And so the prophets of Baal and Elijah representing Yahweh all get together and they say, okay, let's have a showdown. You are going to make a sacrifice and we're going to pray. And whosoever God answers with fire, he's the real deal right? So the stage is set. They make their altar. He lets the other prophets go first, and they cry out. They pray. They sing music like party rock anthem. They do all kinds of stuff to try and get their God to answer with fire on this altar, and it just doesn't happen. Elijah pokes fun at them a little bit. If you read the story, it's an interesting exchange, and then it's Elijah's turn. How many of you remember this part of the story? What's Elijah do? Anybody remember? Yeah, he douses it with water, right? He says, go down to the river, fill up some jugs, and pour water on the sacrifice. How many of you think this is a good idea if you want fire to happen, right? Like, bad call. He does it three times, right? So much so that there's a, there's a little moat, right? There's a trench around the sacrifice, and the Scripture records that that trench fills up with water. So there's plenty of water going around here. And then Elijah prays to God, and what happens? Like a meteorite, right? Fire falls from heaven and consumes all the water, right? Everybody's astounded. Everybody's amazed. And the nation of Israel begins to turn back to God. On top of this, again, we're talking about a drought and a famine. And so Elijah goes to pray. Do you remember this story? And he prays that God would send rain. And he sends his servant to look for the cloud. Nope, no cloud. Three times on the third time, he says, eh, there's a teeny tiny cloud just off in the horizon. And Elijah takes that for the answer. Right? What, a, what a great story, right? Old town or Old, Old Testament style showdown, right? We got fire, we got sacrifices, we got water, all kinds of stuff. And God is answering Elijah's prayers. But at the beginning of chapter 19, Jezebel, remember who represents these prophets of Baal, sends word to Elijah that by this time tomorrow, you're gone, right? Like, I'm going to take you out. This is the last straw. I don't know what your response would be to that. I kind of get the feeling that if I had just called down fire from heaven and had just prayed for rain, it happened, I might be feeling a little confident. Like I might be feeling okay. Elijah isn't, though, for whatever reason. The scripture records like he, he runs and he flees. He takes off. He finds himself underneath a tree in the desert, and he says, God, you know what? I'm, I'm just done. I just don't want to deal with this anymore. I don't want the stress. Just take my life, Lord. It would be better off for me to just die. Kind of a weird turn of events, right? Like there's a little bit of change here going on. Something shifted within Elijah. God answers prayer again, though, and he wakes up and an angel makes him breakfast, which I just call Friday. But for in Scripture, this might be, you get it? I know, right? So 
So an angel makes him breakfast. Maybe you've had that experience before and, uh, and says, hey, you're going to need this strength of journey. He goes 40 days and 40 nights into the desert. He winds up at the mountain of God. This is Mount Horeb. Flash back to your Old Testament history, right? This is where Moses and the Israelites gather. This is where the Ten Commandments are given. This is where God, you remember, puts his hand over the cleft of the rock and he shows his back to Moses. All of these stories are kind of coming together. We could spend weeks just on this one story and one passage. But Elijah runs and he stays there. And when he gets there, it says he goes into the cave. This is in verse 19, the first part. Now that cave, again, is very, very symbolic. It's not just some cave that he found in the mountain. No, he's referring to the same cave, the same cleft in the rock that Moses was in. He went to the exact same place, this place where God was thick in the air, where Moses actually saw God, where there's history and where there's, where there's testament and where the Ten Commandments came from. All of these things, and Elijah is there reliving it. Now we're ready to look at the scripture. Verse 19, we're going to be at verse B. If you're following along in these, it's uh, right after the headline, the Lord appears to Elijah. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Somewhat anticlimactic again, right? Like, like it's like if you came to my front door and I was like, oh, I wasn't expecting you, right? What are you, what are you doing here? What can I help you with, right? Versus if you were known that he was coming and he was expecting it, you might say, oh, I'm so glad to see you. Welcome, come in. Now, now here's a key fun fact about Scripture, right? Um, God knows everything, right? Everybody okay with this? I'm not stretching your theological paradigms or anything? So when God asks a question, is he looking for an answer or is he trying to give us understanding? Right? He's trying to get us to piece through something. He's trying to get us to walk through something. So when God asks a question, he's not looking for the answer. He's trying to help our understanding. He's trying to get us to a certain point. So he's asking Elijah, what gives? What are you doing here? The implicit question is, you shouldn't be here. You have stuff to do. You should be somewhere else. There should be something else to go. But Elijah answers, hey, I've been doing everything you asked me to do, right? I kicked the butts of the prophets of Baal. That was awesome. Thanks so much. Um, but now this woman wants to kill me, and I'm afraid for my life. And they're going to kill me. God says, okay, let's have that conversation. Skip down with me, verse 11. It says, The Lord said, Go out, stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Don't miss the, the similarity in the language to the Old Testament account of Moses and the Ten Commandments. The Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, and it shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And the earth, after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, and he went out and stood at the, mount, at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, same question, what are you doing here Elijah. And Elijah responds the exact same way. They just keep having the same conversation. It's repeated three times within there. But this question, what are you doing here, Elijah, is the question that I'd like to speak about from today. Not only because it's in Scripture, but it relates to a personal story within me. Again, what am I doing here? And I'd like to answer that question as we talk about maybe a little bit of what we're all doing here. But that's a much longer story. See, I was born in Omaha, Nebraska uh, some years ago. I won't do the math for you. I moved to Sioux Falls, South Dakota my freshman year of high school, which was the worst. Um, change in grade, change in school, change in city, all that stuff just compiled up. 
Ended up finding a church there and ended up meeting Melissa and both of our families are from this small town, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. We ended up getting married, all those fun things. Fast forward, we spent about 10 years outside of our hometown there of Sioux Falls, six years in Oklahoma where we got kind of our, our college education, all those kinds of things together. We were in a small town called Mitchell, South Dakota for four years where we did youth and college ministry at a church there and then God opened the doors for us to go back uh, to a church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. My microphone dropped, sorry, that's anticlimactic. Um, Got called to go to a church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. It was with a friend of ours, somebody that we knew we had lots of connection with. And so we kind of felt like this homecoming moment. We were going back to our hometown. We still had family and friends and resources there. We, we bought a house that we loved. And, and we thought that we were kind of there. We thought that we'd kind of arrived. Throughout this season, though, God began to work on Melissa and I, we began to have some deeper level conversations. And we may not have phrased the question exactly this way, what are we doing here? But and that was kind of buried underneath what we were talking about. Are we really doing all that God's called and equipped us to do? Are we really fulfilling the great command, the great commission, the things that we feel like Jesus has asked us to do? We were at a great church, a church that was killing it. I still love that church. I still love all of those people. And so as we tell this story, none of this is a reflection on that church or its leadership. It's a reflection on what God was doing within us. See, God began to break our heart uh, for the way that church kind of works kind of this like attraction-based model where we just all gather together on Sunday and then we go our separate ways and we come back next Sunday and just move on. We really felt like God was calling us to recapture a little bit of this idea about what it means to be a disciple. And so in this season, we worked out a discipleship definition, what it means for us. We've talked about this here before, but for us, a disciple is somebody who can recognize and respond to the voice of God and who teaches others to do the same. So we were doing some incredible ministry. When I was hired, we were at 500. By the time I left, we were pushing uh, about 2,000 people uh, through four services, two different campuses. We had like a straight line from the jail to our baptismal. Uh, it was just awesome. But at the same time, I was going, there's something missing here. We're teaching people to see God. We're giving them an incredible church environment to worship and to come into. But, but we're not seeing disciples make disciples. We're not seeing people following out the Great Commission. If you guys remember it, right, that God said, hey, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we begin to have this angst within us. I, at that time, was doing small groups at this church, and so we kind of jumped full into, what does it look like for us to make disciples who make disciples? What does it look like for us to actually put this Great Commission, the Great Command, into play in our lives. And we did that with great success. But all the while, Melissa and I just began to feel a drift from this church that we were working at. No fault of their own. They were doing exactly what God had called them and asked them to do. But we just began to feel like maybe there was something more for us, something different for us. So we started having some larger level conversations. There were some easy no's along the way. Uh, Des Moines, Iowa was an easy no. No offense, Des Moines. I love you. We weren't going to move to Des Moines. Then, uh, then this really cool-sounding church called The Porch calls from Denver, Colorado through a friend and, and a connection there, and we begin to have some conversations, and we begin to feel like as we talk with the leadership that, that maybe, just maybe, God has something to do here in the Denver area. And we began to formulate this question, so what are we doing here? What are we going to be about? And if I can be honest, this is where the story gets a little bit real and perhaps a part that I'd rather not share with you. Because in this moment, right, where we're at a church that's killing it, we're in our hometown, we've got friends, we've got family, we've got a house that we want to spend the rest of our lives in. And we're kind of praying and talking with God and, and just going, 
what's this about, right? What are we doing here? What's this actual call? Like, what's the piece of this that is it? And, and in my heart of hearts, in my worst place nature, I go, God, I, I hope this is worth it. Which is not the best prayer for a pastor to be praying, if I can be honest, right? God, I, I, hope it's, I hope it's worth it, right? Like, I'll give you anything and everything. Everything that I have is yours. All that I have is yours. Our lives are fully committed, surrendered to you, but, but I want this to be worth it. I want at the end of the day that if you're asking us to leave friends and family and church and, and places, I want there to be an impact. I want it to be worth it. I want something to happen for God's kingdom. And this is where the question began to resurface. So, okay, Will, what are you here on earth to do? You're to accomplish my will or your will? Your will. You're here to do it your way or my your way, right? You can't argue with God. But, um, but, but I'll never forget this, right? I, uh, you guys know I'm a little weird, right? So when I, uh, when I pray, there's a really old, big-sounding, cool world, word called theophostic prayer. You say theophostic with me. Perfect. Theophostic. Literally, phos, light, or picture, theos, God. So it has this idea of picturing Jesus as you pray, right? Don't picture Swedish Jesus who's just like praying and smiling, but like an actual, like, what is Jesus like? Put flesh on him. And whenever I pray and I visualize when Jesus speaks to me, when God speaks to me, he's always laughing. Uh, I think that's at me personally. It hurts my feelings. But Jesus is always smiling and laughing, and I'll never forget praying and having the most vivid conversation with Jesus that I can recall in my life. The first time is when I got my full-time call into ministry. The second was this conversation. And Jesus looked at me in the middle of prayer as he's smiling and saying, what are you here to do? Are you here to do something more? And I said, yeah, God, I'm here to do whatever you would have me to do. And he said, good, because there's, there's some people in Denver in the metro area who need to know about the gospel, who need to know about Jesus. At that point, I kind of was reflecting back to this story, and again, this is not my best pastoral moment, but God uses math and science and all these kinds of things to, to reach into my brain. That's a little bit of my story of salvation. He reminded me of the verse in this story that we read that we didn't finish. Let's go back to Elijah. What are you doing here, Elijah? God, all the big bad people are going to hurt me. Save me. And God says, all right, calm down, Elijah. Go back the way you came. Go finish the mission that I've called you to do. He gives him a couple tasks, and then in verse 18, I believe it is, he says these words. He says, Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. There's 7,000 in Israel who the Lord says, They are mine. They belong to me. They're not, they're not anybody else's responsibility, Elijah. They belong to me. To Elijah, that was comforting, right? You're not alone. There are 7,000 people who still need your leadership and direction. For me, it was like a lightning bolt struck me, and God said, there are 10,000 people in the Denver area who need to hear the gospel. Will you go? 10,000 is a big number, right? I don't know 10,000 people. You don't know 10,000 people. If this is our mission, we're in trouble. Through, through the course of time, God began to refine in me going, you know what, we're not looking to be the next mega church. Like you said, right? Some people are here because it's small. I love that we're small. I love that we can do this. I love that we can have fun and joke around. But nonetheless, the, the reason why I'm here, the answer to that question is because there's 10,000 people in Denver who need to hear the gospel. So as a church, as a mission, as a, all kinds of things, this is what I came here to do. 
Um, as you can imagine, I didn't tell a lot of people at first. Because when I showed up, there were like 46 people in this room. And uh, there's like twice that many here now, which is awesome. Still not 10,000. So about a year ago, I had a conversation with our leadership team. I said, hey guys, I've been praying about something. I feel like it's time to, to invite you into this conversation. How many of you know like when you've got a good idea and then like when you speak it out into reality, all of a sudden like there's weight on it? There's accountability. There's like, oh snap, somebody's actually going to ask me about this. Like we might actually do it. So a year ago, I sit down with our leadership team and I'm, I'm ready for this to take a while. Right? I'm ready to have a conversation with them to go, that's a lot. How are we going to do that? What's that going to look like? And instead, they all went, yeah. They went, hey, if that's what God, if that's what God's calling you to do is to reach 10,000 people by making disciples who make more disciples, then we're all in with that. And I included a plan with them about going, so what I think we need to be about is not growing in a physical location. I think that we need to find new expressions and new ways to connect to people who are never going to walk in the doors of a church but to be able to plant churches that plant churches that reach out into neighborhoods and communities that make a ton of small churches, small like us, who can reach out to their local neighborhood, their local community, and can do church differently than Denver has ever seen or imagined. So I said, what, what I want to do is I want to reach 10,000 people in the next 10 years through disciples making disciples and churches planting churches. And ever since then, we've been putting legs to this plan. I could show you a big, boring uh, spreadsheet that I have about how we're going to do it. Uh, I thought about showing it to you, but I didn't want to make you fall asleep. Um, I can show you big graphs about how the difference between an invitation only, right? If you all went out and invited one friend to church, what that does versus if you all went out and learned how to make a disciple, how to pick one person in your life, introduce them to Jesus, and walk along in a steady path with them. It's exponential in the difference. It creates a discipleship journey within you and within them. But I guess I just need to invite you into this conversation now because I'm speaking it out again, and now this is becoming even more real. See, four years ago, it was just a crazy, stupid dream with Jesus laughing at me. That's how this started. And he said, hey, I've got something for you to do. And it's bigger than you. You can't do it on your own. And there's no way that this works out without me being the author of it. I said, okay. A year ago, I shared that with our leadership team. Today, I share that with you and saying that this is kind of what we're about here. So as I said, there are three stories. We've talked about Elijah. We've talked about me. And now this one's you. What are you doing here? Why are you at this church? Mom and dad drove you. Fair enough. Right? Small, intimate ability to connect, to be able to feel like you have a family. Donuts. I don't have donuts, unfortunately, today. Maybe later. But the issue is, what we're doing here, what we're here to do, is to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. When we do that, we're going to be able to plant churches who plant churches who plant churches. And again, someday, the reason why I'm calling today party planning is because we're just getting ready because someday there's going to be a party. We may get to it on this side of eternity. We may not get to it till the next side of eternity. But for me, there's 10,000 people. When I wake up and I look in the mirror and I go, man, I don't want to go to work today. I don't want to deal with whatever's going on. I don't want to have that issue. I don't want to have that conversation. I'm reminded of this conversation. And Jesus goes, nope, there are, there are people who depend on this. Now I'm inviting you into that same conversation. When we show up to church, when we come here, the invitation is to recognize that this is not just worship, this is not just a gathering, this is a missional rally cry. 
where we come together to learn more about the God that we serve and where we're sent out to go into all nations, into all neighborhoods, into all homes, and to be able to share the message of Jesus Christ. What I want to offer you today, what I want to offer us today, is really just a line-in-the-sand conversation. That if you're still a part of this gathering after this place, that you're at least conceptually on board with this direction that this makes sense to you. And I know that there's lots of questions. We'll be answering them in the coming weeks, specifically when we get to that annual celebration. We'll be able to do more, but I don't want to overwhelm you with those facts because I got, I got kind of step one that I, that I need us to own and embrace here. But from this point forward, when we ask what we're doing here, this, this is the answer. It's been my answer for literally four years. It's been my answer since I walked in the door. Sorry I kept it from you for so long but now it's yours. It's an offer. It's an invitation. I'm not, I'm not saying it's going to change overnight, but I am inviting you into that to go, what does it look like for us to be a church of disciples making disciples and churches planting churches? It's something that's in our history. For those of you that have been here any length of time before me, this church has successfully planted three churches in the Denver metro area, all of them going strong, all of them we love and know the leadership, and I'm hoping that we're just getting started. But for today, as we kind of wrap up, I just want to give you kind of stage one. So the reason why I share great big vision, where we're going, how we're going to get there, all those kinds of things is because in three weeks, we're going to vote on step one. Step one has been a project that I've literally been dreaming about since we walked in the doors of the church here. So uh, when I walked into the church, you see this big, like, great glass doors that you all walk through. I got brought in like through a side door, right? There's this office door over here. How many of you know that there's an office door over there? Yeah, some of you are still awake. That's great, right? There's an office door over yonder, and that's where CCLC comes in. It's where our offices are, all those kinds of things. But it misses out on the beautiful welcome and opening thing. Very first time I walked in the church, I went, I don't like that. I want to come in through the main doors. I want to come in through the front entrance. Been here for a while now, got to see things. CCLC is a ministry that we have here, right? It does kids ages two and a half through kindergarten, and it's killing it. It's doing awesome. We're ministering to families. We offer low-cost, Christian-based, affordable uh, uh, Christian child care from 6.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. It's doing awesome. The only limitation that we have is space, right? All our classrooms are filled. We literally have had waiting lists for the first time this year. We're already starting to enroll for the fall. We love it. Miss Amy's our director. She does an incredible job. Miss Hillary works in the office. She does awesome. And so we've got this problem now. We're a little bit landlocked. You're going, man, if we had more space, we could, we could have more ministry. We could, we could bring in some more kids. There's really only one underutilized aspect of this building. Anybody knows what it is? Yeah, this room right over here which I love, right? We have the tour in there. We have partnership. We do meals in there. We've had small groups meet in there. I love that room. It's just the least utilized space in this room. So what's the easy answer? Use it, right? Put a classroom in there. Here's the problem. Security, right? Far removed. All our kids check in one way. That checks in another way. Uh, There's no soundproofing in there, which means when we throw kids in there, y'all are going to hear it, which isn't the end of the day. But we are a little bit more ambitious than that. So here's the plan. We've been talking about this for probably a year in our leadership team. I've been thinking about it for two years. Uh, We are planning to make an extra classroom over there, removing that entryway, removing the offices, putting our offices over here in the fireside room. We'll bump out that wall a little bit. We'll get a conference area slash lunch. We can do tours, partnerships, small meetings in there. There'll be two offices and two workspaces, and uh, that's the plan. So it's hard to see on there. I made printouts for you. I'm not giving them to you now because you won't listen to me for the rest of the time. Um, 
but it's, it's hard to see up there. I know hopefully you can see on the rest of the piece of paper. We're talking about uh, this front area and that front area, so it'll be on the, uh, i got to do right and left, sorry, right side of both of those things uh, existing. You can see kind of office structures there and what it turns into. So that becomes just kind of a fire exit kind of thing, and then our offices move and shift over a little bit in the lobby. What that means is all of our CCLC families get to come in that door. All of our things get to do. Uh, coming through the main entrance, we gain additional classroom space, which Miss Trista is happy about because not only do we need space in kids' ministry Monday through Friday, but also on Sunday we could use a little bit more kids' space, right? we got tons of space in this room. It's why we can have fun with tables and chairs and moving stuff around. Uh, but our kids' ministries are a little tight, a little packed, and uh, so this gives us even a little bit more space to utilize and work into there. So this is step one of our plan. Right? And so now you all know what comes next. Money. Right? So uh, we talk 10,000 people, right? So I say, hey, we've got a big vision to reach 10,000 people. The first step is building this classroom, and we need you to contribute. How many of you have had that conversation before? We're not doing that. Because <laughs> I hate it. I hate that conversation. Here's what we're able to do. This project, we're going to tie in with our existing loan. We anticipate it's going to be about $150,000. The classroom itself, we anticipate generating about $70,000 annually. It'll pay for itself in two years. Once we have those bills in place, we get to utilize the resources that that makes to do a couple of things, to do improvements on our building. Has anybody lost a child in the cracks in the parking lot? Um, right? They're out there. It's a problem. It's on our list. We've got some, whoa, apparently I need to be done. Um, We've got some things happening there, right? So we're going to be able to do that. The other thing that we're going to be able to do is that we're going to be able to utilize some resources for church planting. Our highest, our highest goals right now, we just met as a leadership team, our local board of administration. We identified three key areas. The number one area that we have is outreach. Number two is kids. And our third is in continuing to increase our worship capacity here. But the first thing that we want to do is reach out into our community. And so as we have the funds to generate this classroom, be able to do it, that's where the money's going to go to. It's going to go to improving, maintaining, and then reaching out. Being able to plant churches, reaching out into our community, figuring out how we, figure, how we make disciples of people who aren't interested in coming to church, who are far away from God. I'm going through this real quick because I know that we're at time and capacity, but, but here's what I want to say to you, right? Our intention, our goal is not to do a capital campaign at this point. If you give regularly to the Porch Church, continue to do that. We are increasing, and we'll talk about this at our annual meeting, what we're anticipating having for our giving. Uh, but if you're already giving, great. If you're not giving, maybe this is your opportunity and God's tapping you on the shoulder to go, hey, I want to give to this. But what we're not going to do is to be able to equate this to your giving. We feel like God's called and equipped us to do this, and we're asking for your support as we go this direction. So here's why that matters. In three weeks, we have an annual meeting. If you are uh, a part of this church, you get a vote. Your vote counts. If you're here today, if you consider the Porch Church to be a part of who you are and a part of your faith expression, then you're welcome to have a say in that meeting. You're welcome to show up. If you can't make it on June 24th, we're going to have absentee ballots uh, so you can fill all that stuff out. Once we get to that point, though, we're going to have a couple of votes. We're going to vote in new uh, leadership board, uh, leadership local board of administration members, so we're going to vote for that. We're going to vote for our budgets, and then we're going to vote for this project. I need, and now here's where we get into like legalese piece, right? So legally, we're a part of the Wesleyan Church. Many of you know that if you've been through a partnership class, which means that we're accountable to the votes of our members or partners. So if you're a partner at the Porch Church, uh, I, uh, you need to show up, vote, do, do whatever you need to do. If you're not a partner of the Porch and you would like to be a partner of the Porch, we're having a light show here. Um, 
if <laughs> our tech booth is freaking out. This is a tech person's worst nightmare, right? Nobody wants attention when you're in the tech booth, and it's the only way you get attention. So, um, <laughs> so on that day, partners get a vote. Now, legally, we have to take our partner vote into account. So everybody gets a voice. We want everybody's opinion, but partners are what matters. Right now, we have 34 partners or members at the Porch Church, which means literally this whole thing hinges on 34 people's vote. That's slightly uncomfortable for me. Um, I don't know how you feel about it. So partnership is next week. Maybe you want to sign up, show up to that, say, hey, I'd like to be a piece of that. Again, you get a vote no matter what. You're included in that vote no matter what. We want your opinion, and, uh, and you're invited into that. But we're going to vote on those three things. We're going to vote on leadership for our church. We're going to vote on budgets for this next upcoming year, which we're going to have for you as handouts. And we're also going to vote for this project. So as you exit uh, near the coffee, there are all three of these sheets, right? There is a, uh, there's a proposal for the building. There are our budgets. There's the, the building plan, all that kind of stuff. And there's also LBA members so you can look at them. Here, here's my invitation to you. Take those with you. Look at them. And if you want to have a deeper level conversation with me, with our leadership, any of those things, let's have that conversation before our annual meeting. If you're good with it, then I'm going to encourage you to show up. And if you're already out of town, already have plans, watch your weekly email so that you can get the invitation to be a piece of that, so that you can be a piece of that vote. So I know we've gone a lot of directions here, but the whole reason why I'm having this conversation is because this has been something that has been pent up within me literally for four years. I've been sharing this conversation one-on-one, sharing it with our leadership team, and it's time for us to kind of put it out there as a vision for all of us. So I would welcome any conversations that you guys would like to have, any, any, any practical conversations, any big conversations, whether this is inspiring or scary to you, any of those types of things, and I'd like to invite you back to come for June 24th so that we can have this conversation together. Because when it comes to the answer of what are you doing here, for me, it's crystal clear. It's absolutely crystal clear. I know why God called us to Denver. I know what we're doing here. I know what it cost me to make that move. And I also know that someday it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it for God to accomplish what he said he was going to accomplish. And now my challenge for you, for us as a family, is to step in to this together. So that when we answer the question, what are we doing here as the porch? Why are we in this community? Why are we in Centennial? Why are we in Denver? Why do we show up week after week? Why do we give? Why do we serve? Why do we invite people to join us on the mission of following Jesus? We have a crystal clear answer. Because there's people (laughs) There's people out there that matter to God. They belong to him. And similar to what he asked the prophet Isaiah, he says, who's going to go for me? Who can I send? And my answer, our answer is, send us, Lord. Send me. I'm going to invite the band to come up. We're going to sing one more song. As they come up, I'm just going to invite you guys to bow your heads and maybe to quietly reflect. Maybe this spoke something into you. I'm not sure whether or not the story of Elijah or following through with that had something to say. Maybe God's asking you that question in your own personal life, in your work life. I don't know what the Holy Spirit might be saying to you, but how do you answer that question? Hey, what are you doing here? If the Lord were to ask you, what are you doing right now with your family, with your job, with your house, with your finances, with your church, with your neighbors? What are you doing here? What are you accomplishing And if you dare, I would encourage you to picture Jesus a little bit and just have him ask you that question. What are you doing here? What am I about in your life? What are the places that you have that you have to reach? And bigger than that, then what are we doing here as a community and as a body? How are we following and serving Jesus here as a group? Because my opportunity for us today is to kind of get on the same page and be able to say what we're about is 
There are 10,000 people that we're responsible for that belong to Jesus and he needs us to be a voice into their life. That's overwhelming. That's more than I can process. It's more than we can put into an action plan, but it's enough to get me out of bed in the morning. It's enough to get me here on Sunday. And my hope, my aspiration for us as a family is that as we lean into the vision that God has put on us, that we would learn together how to walk forward in it. That we would learn how to make disciples. Some of us have never been discipled. That term scares us. We don't know how to make a disciple. That's going to be a steep learning curve. If we're going to plant churches, that means that someday you might leave this church that you love and the friends that you love and the house that you love and the family that you have and you might go to a place to plant a church that needs to hear about Jesus because that's what we're about. Whatever it means, it means that we'll be relentless in our pursuit of making disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I don't know where that lands with you personally. I know where it lands for me personally, and I know where it lands for us corporately, and that's my invitation to you. Would you be a part of this? Would you come alongside us? Jesus, would you equip us to do all that you've asked us to do and nothing more? God, would you allow us to be true to who you've called us to be and nothing less than that? And God, when we stand before you someday, perhaps in the mouth of a cave, perhaps in your presence of eternity, and you ask us, What did you do? What are you doing here in this season, God, that we would be ready and prepared with an answer and that it would be a good one? Heavenly Father, we love you and we praise you. We ask all of these things in your name and the powerful name of the Holy Spirit. All God's kids said, Amen. mindful of me that you hear me when I call is it true that you are thinking of me how you love me